0: I don't know if you're like me, but that, losing that extra hour of sleep, that's like a kick in the head, isn't it? I mean, uh, yeah. So anyway, appreciate everybody that uh, is here this morning. And I want to share with you uh, just some exciting things that are coming, and you're going to hear a lot more about this. Uh, we had a really, uh, just a great meeting yesterday with uh, the leadership team here at the Amvets. and so we're going to roll out some, uh, some new, fresh ideas, and uh, in the next few weeks, you're going to get to hear about that. And uh, creating some amazing spaces, and so God's got some great things in store uh, here on the west side. So I know you're half asleep, so that's coming, and that's going to be in the next few weeks. We're going to let you know about all of that. On March 24th, on that Sunday, real excited, everyone here and on all the campuses is going to receive a a calendar. On that calendar, uh, there's going to be 21 uh, slots, and each day you'll have a specific thing that we're going to be praying for. The other thing we're going to have is you're going to all get a little neon dot and you're going to stick that on your watch, uh, the five or six feet that still will watches on your phones. And uh, we're going to remind you at 714 every morning or evening just to say a prayer, Uh, pray for our nation, pray for our church, but just to lift up God in a very powerful way during these 21 days. And so that's coming and we're excited about that and and what God's going to do. One of the hardest things in ministry uh, by far is there are just certain seasons that I get so many messages uh, from friends and family that are just battling uh, life. And a lot of times there's weeks that it's actually life and death. It's literally that serious. And this is one of those weeks. I cannot tell you how many conversations that I've had with families battling cancer. And uh, in, including my own, I have a nephew, his wife, uh, right now, it's, it's really any day. And so um, I know what that's like as a family member. You're picking up, every time you get a message, you're just swallowing deep and you're thinking, okay, okay. Uh, and so this has been heavy on my heart, so I'd like to just lead us in prayer this morning for all of you who have friends and family that are just battling cancer, because I know that's a very real thing. So let's pray. Uh, our Heavenly Father, We know how difficult life can be, and uh, there's nothing that hurts more than to see people around us that we love uh, that are battling uh, cancer, and it affects every family. And so, Lord, we just pray for your comfort, pray for your peace. Uh, Lord, we just thank you for being there for us, uh, to help us, to help our friends, to help our family. And if there's someone here this morning that is just, has a a really heavy heart, Lord, I pray that you'll minister to them. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So I'd like you, to go ahead and take your Bibles and turn over to John chapter eight. Uh, we're continuing in this series called "Walk Like Jesus," which will lead us all the way to Palm Sunday, uh, which is April 14th. And we're going to focus on John 8 for this very important reason. Today's theme is uh, obeying Jesus the way Jesus obeyed. And so the big idea is simply this: Jesus obeyed with perfect obedience. And a model for us that we too must learn to grow in obedience. It's easy to read the Bible, isn't it? It's another thing to actually do what the Bible asks us to do, to be obedient. James 1.22 to me is the classic verse in regards to obedience. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Isn't that a hard one? To do what it says. Uh, How many of you have ever heard this quote? I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. Raise your hand if you heard that. I'm going to get a few t shirts for you. That's whatever, if you're a Christ follower, that should be your motto every day. People could care less what you say. Your words really don't mean that much, but they're watching exactly what we're doing because they want to see do the words match your actions? We know that that's true. And so that's what we're going to get into today. Now, a few weeks ago, Um, And I know you all remember this, because I know you go home every day or every week, and you listen to my sermon again, and you write more notes on it. Uh, Yeah, you rolled your eyes, and that was a good thing. (laughs) So anyway, I don't even know what I preach half the time. So anyway, here's the deal, and this really is important. Uh, At the very beginning, we talked about, there was a book called In His Steps. And uh, from that, there was this little phrase, uh, and it was a question. And if you all remember, it is, what would Jesus do? And a lot of you probably had the little bracelet, What Would Jesus Do? And I, I just want to go back and touch on that again because I, I thought about this as I was preparing this message. Is really, that's not the most important question, is it? What would Jesus do? We know what Jesus would do. What's the important question? What am I going to do? You know, really, that ought to be the bracelet. What am I going to do? Because we already know what Jesus would do, but putting that in motion, that's hard. So, Francis Chan, a few years ago, had this example, uh, and it was a fictional account about his daughter, but man, it really rung true for me. Uh, I've raised three teenagers. Many of you have been through that. You've got the battle scars too, and you know what that's like. And uh, he said, so imagine my teenage daughter, uh, and I sat down with her, and I said, honey, I love you. You're, you're the apple of my eye, but to be honest, I looked in your room, and it's a dumpster fire. I mean, seriously, it is, uh, it's bad. And I'm just afraid that there's dead bodies, and I'm just, I'm, I'm nervous. So anyway, you've got to clean your room. Now, I'm going to be gone a few days, so when I come back, if you don't have that room clean, you're, you're, going, to be, you're going to be grounded, okay? So get, get the room clean. Goes away for a few days, comes back, and uh, gets back in town before his daughter gets home from school, tiptoes down, looks in a room, nothing has changed. It's still a bombshell. And he's like, I, I cannot believe it. Uh, she gets home from school, and you know how teenagers are, they have that sixth sense, and she goes, Dad, I can, underst- I, can- and I can explain, let me explain, I know you wanted me to clean the room, and I thought that was a tremendous challenge, and so I did a word study on a clean room, and I got to be honest, I found some fascinating things about a clean room, and then I actually had some friends over, and we talked about the advantages of a clean room, and you know what, they all agree, it's a good thing and dad, you're going to love this. You know Jeremy? Yeah. Jeremy wrote a song called, I Love My Room. And dad, so what do you think? He's like, what? What would a parent say? I could care less. Really easy. I just want you to clean your room. Now, as crazy as that sounds, how many times do you do that with God? I mean, that's exactly what we do with God. He's like, love your neighbor as yourself. Mm, I'm going to do a word study on neighbor. And I'm going to write out 10 creative ways I can help my neighbor. And then in Bible study, let's talk about how I can help my neighbor. You know what God said? Shut up and help your neighbor. Isn't that that true? Maybe not shut up. I mean, God's not that blunt. But in all honesty, this is where the rubber meets the road. Do we do what the Bible tells us to? Are we obedient? Because Jesus, every day of his life, he was obedient to God's word. That's why this morning we're going to see that obedience of Jesus to his Heavenly Father brought light to a very dark world. Now, what I'm really excited about today is uh, the preaching today is going to be split up between me and Claudia Mitchell. So you're going to get half of a really good sermon today. (laughs) And Claudia and I love this text when you look at John 8 because you, you get to see that, and this is a key, Jesus is worthy of our obedience Keep that in mind. He is worthy of our obedience because Jesus is the light of the world. Follow with me, John 8, verses 1 and 2. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him and sat down to teach them. Did you notice when Jesus showed up at the temple courts early in the morning, people started to gather So let me give you a little background throughout this text. And here's one that I love just as I read through the book of John. I love the book of John. Actually, our men talked about this a little bit Wednesday night. And that is if you read through the book of John, you're going to find out that he loves the number seven. And here's what I mean by that. You're going to read about seven festivals that Jesus was a part of in the Jewish culture. There are seven miracles that John touches on. And there are seven what they call I Am's that Jesus deals with through the entire book of John. So as you read through John, you kind of see this flow. And you get to realize that Jesus goes where the people are. He loves people. And he wants them to experience God at the deepest level. And here he shows up at this remarkable time of the year for the Jewish people. They've come through Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is the Day of Atonement. And it is heavy. And then they have, after Yom Kippur, uh, it's this amazing, amazing season. It's a week, and it's the Festival of Tabernacles, or shelters. And uh, they spend a week just honestly spending a lot of time with one another. And there's a lot of celebration. And they, they gravitate to the temple, and that's where Jesus goes. He goes where the people are. So I want to show you, now this is going to be hard to see, uh, but I'm going to show you a picture of the temple and so this is a good reason why you should sit in the front of the church, but I'm just going to point out a couple things here. And this is a bird's eye view. So if you had a drone, this is what you would see as the Jewish people, not just this festival, but anytime when they would approach the temple. If you were looking outside, if you look to the east there, if you go below there, anybody can be there from Solomon's porch down. That is, that is open for anybody. And so that's where folks would be. If you remember, Jesus got upset when they were selling things and, and he flipped the tables. So anybody can be there. But then if you go through the next gate, you go up 12 steps, it's called beautiful, the beautiful gate. You would get into this amazing area, and it's called the court of the women. Now, you had to be Jewish to get there, but all men and women were welcome in that area. Now, uh, In the scripture, you'll read cubits. And so I did the measurements here. And so that area would be 200 basically by 200. That's the size. Now think of how the world changed in that square because it did. And then if you go even farther, you go up 15 steps and you'll reach the next area. And in that area, that's where you would have the the sacrifices. The the priest would make the sacrifices. That's where they had the table of showbread with 12 loaves. Very important place. Uh, women were not allowed in this area. And then if you go to the next area, 12 more steps, you know where you're at? The holy place. And then behind the curtain is the what? Holy of holies. Only the high priest could go there. So you can see the temple was set up that you just kept gradually going higher and higher until you were truly in the presence of God. Why is that so important? Because when you know that, then it makes perfect sense. When Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, I want you to see in just a moment why that is so important. It's important to them, and it's important to us. What happens in this courtyard is a story that you've all heard many times, and it starts in verse 3. So if you've got your scriptures, turn over there to John 8, starting in verse 3. The teachers of the law... And the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. And they made her stand before the group. And they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down he started to write on the ground with his finger. Don't you wish you knew what he wrote? I would love to know that. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. And at those who heard this, because they would go away at a time, <clears throat> and the older ones first, until there was only Jesus left, With the woman still standing there, Jesus straightened up and he asked her, Woman, why are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Now let's back up and see why that is so important and what this has to do with Jesus is worthy of our obedience. If you notice what goes on there in this area, that temple court, that 200 by 200? Remember, anybody can come into this area. And Jesus would show up early in the morning, and all the people every day, remember, this is a week-long festival. Every day, they're coming to hear Jesus. And I really believe it. I think the crowds had got so large that the Pharisees and the, the leaders, they were so used to people coming to them, there was deep, deep insecurity and jealousy. And we know this because they were, they were plotting a way to trap Jesus. So it's interesting that here's a woman that is caught in adultery, and by the letter of the law, she could be stoned. Now, that's an extreme reading of that text. And yet they bring her in. Now, over the years, any time I've preached this, any time I've heard it preached, People always have two questions. anybody want to guess that the questions are? Here's this woman she's brought to Jesus, she's caught in adultery. Question number one: Doesn't that seem pretty serious that she's caught in adultery and you're going to kill her? Stone her That's the first one. That seems extreme. What's the second obvious thing? Where's the guy? So not, it, it takes two to party. I mean that's what I've always heard, you know and, and so I did some digging. I think this probably is true. Remember, they were doing, they were scheming against Jesus. I'm not even sure this actually happened. I think they may have been using this guy to say, hey, hey, we just need a story. Because they would have brought the guy. And I think they brought this woman and knowing you've got nothing, you can't defend yourself. You can't defend yourself. So Jesus is, is in a tough spot. And he realizes that they're trying to trap him. And it's there in that court, and I think the title is so accurate, The Court of Women. It's there that Jesus gives this woman freedom that she never dreamed that she would have. And isn't that, I think that's one of the most amazing things that Jesus has has ever uttered, is all these people leaning in, listening, and they're like, okay, what should we do? What are you going to do? Should we go ahead and stone her? And by the way, the accuser was always supposed to be the first one. And Jesus is like, you know this isn't being done by the word of God. And so he pauses, and what does he say? Hey, anyone here who hasn't sinned, why don't you be the first one who throws a stone? I know it's supposed to be the accuser, but let's just go ahead and fast forward. If you've never sinned, go ahead, throw the first stone. And don't you love that scene? First the youngest guy leaves, and and then the oldest guy, I hate this guy. You know, you (laughs) just see that as they're walking out, and can you imagine, I cannot imagine, in just a moment, that woman's life has been saved. I imagine, I always picture her at the feet of Jesus, I really do. I think she was just crushed. And I imagine Jesus reaching down and just where she's the only one that could hear him. He's like, listen, do you look around here? Do you see anyone that condemn you? No, they've all left. Well, I'm not going to condemn you. And he says, now, go. And what? Sin no more. Jesus didn't say, you know, that's Okay. You know, that's okay. What you did is fine. No, he said, no, that was that was not the thing you should do. But you need to go from this place. Don't do that again. But what do you think she thought about Jesus? Do you think she thought, well, Jesus, he's judgmental. He's got no business. No, I think she left like he is the Messiah. He is what? The light of the world. Now, let me share this with you. When you hear that phrase, light of the world, this may help you because this is, Honestly, this gets to me. It gives me goosebumps. I get goosebumps about weird things. So in this space that I just told you about, the reason this space during this very special week is so important, on the first night of the, the, the week, uh, they have this amazing ceremony, and it's the ceremony of light. Isn't that awesome? It's the ceremony of light. And I just want you to hear briefly. Uh, this comes from a, a wonderful book. About these festivals of Jesus and on this particular night here is the tradition the priests and the Levites would go down to the court of women right at dusk there were four enormous golden candlesticks that were set up in the court that were 50 cubits at 75 feet 75 feet high there were four young people that would climb the ladder And then they would pour 7.5 gallons of pure oil in each one of those candles. And then from the priests they actually took the clothing and they wrapped tight wicks. And then they would have singing and they would light each one of those. So imagine 75 feet high. Imagine the light that is coming from there. And then there would be this amazing music that they would play. And that went on all through the night. And they said all over the entire area, you could see because of the way the temple was, how beautiful the temple was. The whole world really could see this amazing basking light. So when Jesus does this amazing healing, frees this woman, did you notice what he did next? He stepped out and he said, I am what? The light of the world. Can you, I'm telling you, They were blown away. They had just seen him free a woman that they never dreamed could be free. And now he's saying, I'm not just the light of the Hebrew people. I'm the light of what? The world. Boy, Jesus didn't just randomly say I'm the light of the world. He knew every night when you see this glow, you got to remember that's a symbol for me. And Jesus is the light of the world for all of us. Years ago, I was, uh, we were on a missions trip, you're going to think this is nuts, but it was just south of Atlanta, but it was the summer of 1996, so we actually drove through to this missions trip, up Atlanta, on the opening night of the Olympics, that really was not the smartest thing I've ever scheduled, but, uh, and I had parents who said, John, isn't that... um, uh, Stupid. You know, and I'm like, yeah, I, I said, yeah, but trust me, we're going to get there. It's such a weird time. And honestly, it, it, it was great. About one o'clock in the morning as we drove through and I'm like, I woke them all up. I'm like, hey, look out the window. There it is. There's the torch. You will never forget this moment. And they're like, we probably will. And I'm like, well, you shouldn't. I mean, there is that torch. There's that light that you've always seen. I'll tell you that light Every year for the Hebrew nation, that, that's, that, that's their light. And here's Jesus who said, I am the light of the world. I can penetrate any darkness. What kind of darkness are you in right now? I mean, what kind of fog are you in right now? And I know you're already in a fog because you haven't slept. I know that, but I mean, spiritually, what kind of fog? Because whatever darkness you're battling, the light of Christ can penetrate that. You see, what I love about Jesus, and I think it's what this woman taught us, is that we're not obedient to Jesus because we feel guilty. He doesn't want us to be obedient because we feel guilty. He wants us to be obedient because he's worthy of our obedience. Does that make sense? You know, when something is worthy to follow, it's so much easier to follow. But when you have to follow it just out of guilt... That's not the way God wants you to follow. So it's so important that we understand, first of all, Jesus is worthy of obedience. But the most practical thing is, how can we reflect that light of Jesus? How can we practice that obedience in some practical ways? And we've got a very special video we want to show you, and then Claudia wants to share with you some practical ways to demonstrate our obedience to Jesus.
1: like, <laughs> mm. Here you go! Thank you! I love broccoli. Oh! <laughs> Gotta go! So did you find him? God is a woman mom and she has the most beautiful smile I've ever seen. Why are you in such a good mood? I just ate Twinkies in the park with God. (laughs) He's much younger than I expected. morning. That's one of my favorite clips because it reminds us that we can reflect the light of Jesus. No matter what season we're in, no matter what we're at, no matter what we're doing, we can reflect the light of the world that John just talked to us about. You know, I saw it the minute I came in the door. Actually, the minute I came in the parking lot, I felt like this Can I say this bar? Somebody told me this morning, they love to tell people, we worship in a bar. (laughs) I love that. It was like this place was lit up when I pulled in the parking lot. When I got out of the car, someone said, good morning, Claudia, I'm so glad you're here. When I got to the door, not this morning, but almost every time I come here, my uh, good buddy, Greg Anderson... Gives me this big bear hug. Have you had one of those from him? If you hadn't, you want to get it. And it lights up the place before you even get in the building. Then I came in, and all down the road was food, and in my favorite, donuts, and coffee. It was like someone said, "Uh, you know what, you were expected, and you were accepted. Isn't that like Jesus. Didn't Jesus even say, I go to prepare a place for you? The, the whole room seemed to light up to me. It wasn't just the donuts, but that did help. And then um, I noticed this woman come in with a little baby, very tired and weary. Hey, anybody here tired today? Not just because of the, the the time change, but just tired. I could see it in her face and the way she walked. And someone said, hey, Come sit here. Come sit with me. I felt like this room lit up with the light of Jesus. Because Jesus said, hey, anybody tired? Anybody weary? Come. Come and sit down. This place is lighting up with Jesus. And I love that, don't you? Don't you want to be that? Don't you want to be that light of the world? I think it's 2 Peter chapter 3, where Peter, who walked with Jesus, said, You have everything you need. God's divine power has given you everything you need for life. That word power translates into our word dynamite. We can blast through anything in this dark world because everywhere we step, we're stepping in the resurrected power of Jesus, the light of the world. So it's sort of like a Disney movie. Green things can grow where we walk, and birds can sing, and things can sprout up. The world can light up because that power of the risen Savior, is within you and I. We can do it. We have everything we need. Everything we touch can be like Jesus and bring glory to the world, and every word we speak can bring light and hope to this dark and weary world. Don't we want that? Don't we want that? Well, Jesus showed us how to do it. He chose to live his life on earth in obedience by being submissive to God and surrendering. Submission and surrendering is all about obedience. And I love this that Jesus said about, he not even modeled for us how to be the light of the world. He talked to us about it. And in John 8, he says, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I can do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke many believed. You know, Jesus is co-equal with the Father and the Spirit in the Trinity, and yet he chose to live his life on earth in submission to God in all things, in all times, in all ways. And John walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, prayed with Jesus, and he knows, he watched him. He talks about Jesus surrendering in obedience, 47. I love you, you talked about the word seven. Well, he talks about it 47 times how Jesus was submissive and surrendering in his one and only life here on earth. Jesus said things like, I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. He said, I tell you the truth. The Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. So by living in submission and surrender, we can bring the light of Jesus into the world that's in con- that's so contagious did you notice Jesus said after Jesus said these things many believed it's contagious because we live in such a world that is so about me you notice that it's all about me 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 and to be a submissive person the attitude that Jesus had was always you go first that's all about submission and surrender. It's you go first, you go first. That's how Jesus was. I was, found myself on a panel uh, at Indiana University with a 100 college students. I don't know how I got there because on one side of me was a theologian, on another side of me was a professor, and down the, the road was uh, a man I think the world of. You know him, he attends here a lot, and it's Neil Donhauer, and he was on this panel. And we were to answer questions from these students. Um, And the first question, the facilitator said, said, I want all the panel to answer this question. I want you to give the mantra of your life in one sentence. And my thought was this. What's a mantra? What's a (laughs) mantra? I had no idea what I was going to say, and I was first. And Neil, I think he recognized my... um, I don't know. I was probably sweating because Neil (laughs) spoke right up. And he said, Oh, I can do that. I can give the mantra of my life in four words. And those words are, It's not about me. Will you say that with me? It's not about me. Oh, my gosh. And being as uh, bright as I am, I spoke up and said, Oh, Neil, that's exactly what I was going to (laughs) say. But what an attitude. It's not about me attitude. It's a you-go-first attitude, and it changes everything. I love this uh, quote from Jesus Christ himself, where he said, If I turned the spotlight on myself, it wouldn't amount to anything. But my father, the one you say is your father, put me here at this time and place. So you-go-first submission is abandoning all your outcomes to God. It's letting go of trying to get our own way to refuse to try to let anyone or anything turn out a certain way. It's abandoning everything to God, surrendering to a you-go-first moment. Submission is the way of Jesus, and it's the way he lived every day of his life. It's obedience. It's looking outside of ourself. It's an outward you-go-first instead of an inward mine, mine, mine attitude. And it leads to freedom, like we sang about this morning, like we can't even imagine. And I observed this firsthand when I was teaching first grade at Spencer Elementary. I was uh, walking after school. There's a, the, the school is in a circle. And so after work, we would walk in the circle, depending on how the day went. Sometimes it was really fast. Other days, we were barely walking. But I walked with a friend who had just become a believer. And as we walked, the conversation always went like this. I you know, I just accepted Jesus, but I, I, don't, I don't feel different. I just accepted Jesus, but my finances haven't changed. I just accepted Jesus, but I haven't found, I'm still single. I just accepted Jesus, and my car has broken down. I just accepted Jesus, and my life isn't perfect. And I thought if I accepted Jesus, and this was a, all about her every day, every day as we walked, And one day she said, I am so tired today, Claudia, I didn't sleep last night. Because every morning this week, a bird has, uh, at 5 o'clock in the morning, hits my window and falls to the ground. And bangs my window and falls to the ground. And he wakes me up every morning. And I can't sleep, and I'm just worn out from it. So I was teasing, and I said, well, Karen, let me give you a suggestion. Tomorrow morning, get up at 4.30 a.m., go out, hide in the bushes in front of your house and find out what's causing that bird to act like such a bird brain. And I was kind of teasing. Well, she did it. (laughs) And the next day, she came to school, and while we were walking, she looked different. Talk about the light of the world. I could see it in her face. I could feel it in her body. I could hear it in her words. Karen was changed. And she said to me, Claudia, I will never be the same, because what I saw... When I looked in my window, changed my life. Boy, I said, Well, Karen, tell me what you saw. And she said, I saw my own reflection. I realized my whole life has been about me, 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 and it's killing me. I'm beating my head against my own self. And what Jesus has called me to do is to turn around, look outside of myself, and fly and soar and be everything. Jesus has called me to be. Well, Karen, the next year, took a leave of some, uh, a sabbatical from teaching, and I got a letter from her a few months later, and she said, Claudia, I have never been happier in my life. I'm working at an orphanage in Mexico, and my job is to clean up the kids who come to us for the first time, and many of them have lice so big that I have to snap them with my thumbnail when I pull them off their head and throw them on the ground but I have never been happier in my life because I have found the freedom that comes in surrendering to Jesus. Submission and surrender is obedience, and it changes everything, and it brings light into the world. It's a you-go-first that reminds us of Jesus, and there's very practical ways to do it. You know, we all want to be light in the world. We all want to make a difference, and we all want to reflect Jesus but we're not going to drift into it. We have to consciously decide every moment of every day to walk out of this me, me, me environment and into a you-go-first moment. When we're getting ready to make dinner when we get home from church today, pray over the people that you're gonna serve. When you get in the car and there's a, a driver in front of you going really fast, I always think to myself, Oh, well, maybe his wife's having a baby or something. (laughs) Try to think good thoughts. Try to pray for the people that are serving you today. See the world through the eyes of Jesus. If you're reading the newspaper, read the newspaper with Jesus. As your life goes, try to make every moment one of surrender and submission to Jesus. I have a friend who I think does the most beautiful thing. She said, Claudia, so much my life is intention. Anybody here tense today? shoulders tense, hands clenched. She said, I I noticed I was walking around with my hands clenched a lot. And I want to be an open, submissive, surrendered Christ follower. So she said what she does, moments and moments during the day, is open up her hands to God, and she thinks these words. Dear Jesus, Son of God, your will your way, this moment. And it reminds her that obedience is surrender and submission. And she says she does it throughout the day whenever she feels that tenseness of me, me, me. So let's just do that right now. Would you, would you open your hands, if they're clenched? And, and relax your body. Let those shoulders relax a little bit. Take a deep breath, and will you just repeat this prayer after me? Dear Jesus, Son of God, your will, your way, this moment. Amen.
0: If this is your first time with us, um, one of the things that we do every week, and it's an important thing, is that we break bread together, we drink juice together, and we do that to remember what Jesus has done for us. I thought what a wonderful thing to do is what Claudia has just done with us is to remember that in our lives. So if you were to take communion today and you went back and you sat down and you just turned your hands over and you just sat there still. If you uttered those words, your will, your way, this moment. And then maybe do it a second time, maybe a third time. But just to remind yourself that you're in the presence of Jesus Christ. And that no matter how dark your life is right now, the light of Christ is here for you. We have tables all over the room, the four areas of the room, and if you need help in any way, if you raise your hand, we'll bring communion to you. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we just uh, surrender to you at this time. We praise you for your light. And some of us uh, this morning may be going through some really dark times, so Lord, we pray for your will. And Lord, we thank you that your light shows us the way, so Lord, thank you for your will. And Lord, we just pray that we don't put it off, that we realize at this moment, we want to give you our undivided attention, that we truly want to do this in remembrance of you. Lord, thank you for this bread. Thank you for this juice. Thank you for this time that we can just show you how much we love you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.